get the RPMs up and then grab another gear while the RPMs are up. Because you know what happens if you grab another gear while the RPMs are up? That one just goes right on to the next level too. But we want to go, just bog that sucker down. We're in fifth gear. Well, we're in fifth gear, Pastor. Well, we're doing 1,000 RPM. And as soon as we reach any sort of resistance, it's just downshift. You might need to go back a gear and go, where was, what was going on when that RPM was up? And then you know what? You throw more fire on it. You throw more fuel on it. Is that what we do? Jose, when that, then that engine, what does it need? Oxygen and fuel and fire. So when you begin to feel that little bit of fire, you better throw some fuel on that sucker and some oxygen, some breath, and God will begin to blow on it. But if you don't put any fuel on it and you don't open that throttle up, you're going to keep, well, I don't know, Pastor, you need to pray for me. I'm praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He's already interceded for you. Y'all need to put some things to action. You ain't going nowhere unless you crack that throttle. You're not going to climb that hill unless you drop a gear. It's not for me. This is for all of us. Things aren't going to change. You. Lord, open our eyes. How can we not see what's going on in the world and see the lies, see the exact opposite, just like the Bible said? They will speak evil as good and good as evil in the last days. So what does that mean? We're in the last days. Knowledge will increase. Travel will go to and fro. Like that, Daniel prophesied that. Hello? As soon as you buy something that's a phone, a computer, as soon as you buy it, it's outdated. I don't know if you can tell. Can you tell, like, things are like, that can only go so long. You say, well, pastor, people have been saying that for a long time. Yeah. God's been trying to get our attention for a long time. But you've been planted and you were birthed into this age for such a time as this. The angels and those who went before us should be excited and talking like we talk about Paul. We, they should be talking about us going, oh, are you watching what Jose's been doing? Oh, my gosh, do you see when the Holy Spirit comes on Ken? You think I'm kidding? We are surrounded by heavenly hosts and by a crowd of, and a cloud of witnesses. And Jesus sees, you do see those, those four-winged angels? There's eyes everywhere, front and back. They are seeing everything in every dimension. There's nothing that's going past. And we have such an opportunity, church. Such an opportunity. Redeem the time. Redeem the days. You've been bought with a price. The highest cost. There was nothing spared. We have no excuse. I will promise you, we will, I will not be able to stand before God with an excuse. It, it will be smoked. The only thing that's going to be before you, you're going to look into truth. Truth. Everything will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare. There will be no excuse big enough. You will not have, well, this happened to me, and this hurt, and my family member, and and I was molested, and what? none of those things. He said, I redeemed you. I want to make you whole. I've given you opportunity to be whole. Every area that the enemy has tried to touch you, I'll redeem. I believe wholeheartedly, especially the areas that the enemy's tried to touch you or has touched you, if you will allow him to redeem it, he will redeem it, and it will be the most fruitful part of your life. Some of you don't agree. I'm sad. That's the truth. Read Romans, first chapter. I better get into Revelation. This is Revelation, it's about redemption. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 5. We're still in the throne room. The very presence of the Almighty. The chapter continues the description of the vision that John receives. The scene is still in the sky, the throne. The elders are there, the four living creatures are there. But now our focus begins to shift and turn to something of new and of a greater attention is drawn to the one who sits on the throne who has a scroll in his right hand. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, the Greek word is scroll. They hadn't had binding at that point yet. Written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. John says, and I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk to you a little bit about the scrolls. Everything in this scene shows the importance and significance of the scroll. The right hand of God indicates his authority and divinity and power. So we see that this scroll that is in the Almighty's hand, in his right hand, is full of power and authority. He is the one who holds the scroll. Now, the scrolls in those days were made from papyrus. They would take papyrus out. They would pound it out, kind of like a pulp, and they would dry it, and they would make sheets out of papyrus. Then they would sew them together and make scrolls. On one side would be pretty smooth, and that's the side they would write on, typically. The inside, the outside of it would be very coarse, and it would have ridges on it. So you didn't normally write on the outside or the backside of a scroll. It was always written on the inside, the smooth spot. Now, this was a, a very special scroll. And it, it shows that um, the seals show, right off the bat, John would be able to recognize, especially the Jewish people of that day would be able to recognize that this was either a deed, a title deed, or a will. Because they'd be sealed up. And, and as they were sealed, the writing on the outside of the scroll indicates to them that that's a will or that's a title deed. On the outside of the scroll would show and give the, the identification of who qualified, who the qualifications were to open the scroll. So if there was a title deed or a will, it would say on the outside, this can only be opened by Jose Esparza. So that it didn't get opened, the message didn't get resealed. And upon those different seals, it would be at different times, okay, now that this has happened, now that this has been, been done, now the next part can open. So there was, there was a... a a system to that, and they knew this very, very clearly. I want to show an, a, an, a part of Scripture where I, you could say I'm not making this up. And when they use these things, in Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, give you a little bit, well, let's just read it. It's only a few more verses. No, you guys don't have it. I'll just explain it. It's all good. Um, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah. Um, ne King Nebuchadnezzar, which we know we read from Daniel, um, has, is conquering um, Jerusalem. The Chaldeans are, are, Jerusalem's under siege. Jeremiah at this point is in King, uh, what was his name? He didn't last too long. Zedekiah. Um, in his, basically in his, uh, probably his home or grounds. And King Hezekiah locked Jeremiah up because Hezekiah does not like true prophecy, apparently. Um, Jeremiah would prophesy and told the king that you done screwed up and 
it's because of what you're doing, this, this country is going under siege. He prophesies that, and he's not wise enough to do anything about the changes, so he just locks Jeremiah up. So here the whole country is about to go under Chaldean and, and Babylonian um, cover, and that's where you see Daniel and those guys get caught, and they get sent away. Well, Jeremiah is locked up in his own, I mean, he's like doubly messed up. Who wants to be a prophet? We see lots of people want to be prophets today. But we don't see too many people want to be prophets like we see in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, at age 20, is called. He is, begins prophesying. He, he is, and along the way, he goes through so much stuff that, that he is like, about halfway through, he's like, Lord, I don't know that I can do this. That's a little different than today. you got 150 people running to prophecy classes to be taught how to be prophets. Just saying. And I love prophecy, and I'm all for it. But I want to hear from him. Not the regurgitated stuff that's flying around the TV. Amen. I'm glad, I'm glad you're with me. So Jeremiah is not welcomed for his prophetic word. He is locked up. And in this place, we get to chapter, or verse 6 of chapter 32. And it says, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, which is again, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle. This guy's got some handles, let me tell you. Your uncle, we'll just say, your uncle's coming <laughs> to you saying, but for your, buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it. Now, Jeremiah's in jail already. Israel's being conquered. And his uncle says, why don't you buy for me my property, my land? That's getting conquered. And we're going to captivity. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like a really good economic plan. Um, go ahead and keep it. The Lord tells him, hey, he's going to do this. And he's like, okay. Now, he's coming to him because he is his next to kin. See, there's a redemption process that's, that's about to happen. Keep following me. It says, Then Hanamil, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the guard, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me. So now he sends his son, his cousin. So the Lord said, and then guess what happened? The guy shows up. He says, Buy my field, please, that it is at Anathoth, which is in the land of Benjamin, which is real close to Jerusalem, for you have the right of possession, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. How do we know prophecies are the word of the Lord? If someone prophesies an event, a day, a time of something, how do we know if it was the word of God or not? Ding, ding, ding. And I bought the field. He, he answers and he, he does what he's supposed to. He says, I bought the field, which is at Anathoth from Hanamiel, my uncle's son, and I weighed out the silver for, for him, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed and sealed the deed and called in witnesses and weighed out the silver on the scales. Then I took the deeds of purchase, both the sealed copies containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Mahesheth, in the sight of Hanamiel, my uncle's son. And in the sight of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase before all the Jews who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I commanded Barak in the presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, the sealed deed of purchase and the open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, that they may last a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. He goes on to say, After I had given the deed of purchase to Brock, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power, and nothing is too difficult for thee. Look at what happens. God is saying, I, I want you, I want to show you something, I want to use you in this spot to show you that I'm not done with Israel. 
I want you to buy this land that makes no sense to buy. I want you to buy land that is, under, that is going under siege as we speak to the enemy. Go ahead, invest in that. And then I want you to have that, do all the proper things, seal it up, and put it in an earthenware jar so that one day the Redeemer can come and meet the obligations and receive that land. That's where we see scrolls that are sealed, scrolls that are written on the outside. This scroll that is coming from the right hand of the Father is a scroll of redemption. There's some things that go with that. Now, there was a, you go, well, what's this redemption thing? If you go all the way back to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, and verse 25 specifically starts speaking of redeeming land, how to purchase land. There's something really awesome in God's plan. He wants the land that was given, that he said he gave to the tribes, he wants that land to stay with them. So they can go, there was a year of jubilee every every. 49 years, then at the 50th year was a year of jubilee. If you had leased, you can lease your land. If things got hard and, and you got broke and came on hard times, you could sell your land, which was a lease, for basically however much time was left till that year of jubilee. Someone else could buy it. But at the, at the year of jubilee, it would go back. If something happened to you, a nearest kin, which was Biel, would go and could purchase the land for you. So that it stayed. Now they would have the rights, but at the 50 year, it would go back. This taught the Israelites to hold on to stuff pretty loosely. I don't have any teaching on that. This is what I see. God is showing them, yeah, this is your stuff, but it can come and it can go. But he, want, he wants to show them that I want you to stay in this land. There's things I have given you and it's yours. There were certain qualifications that would exclude that. If you moved into a city, into a walled city, which is kind of interesting. I don't have no, no reference on this. I almost think it's almost like if you're moving into a city that this would be your protection. You're not trusting in me. If you put a house into a walled city and you lived there and you sold it, you had a year. Otherwise, it stayed. But if your land was outside the wall, if you had a piece of property or a dwelling outside, 50 years. Now, I, don't I didn't study that out. It just looks to me like you're counting on some protection, some other things, except for the Levites. Because they were living where God told them to. They told them, you live in these, these cities. They didn't get the land. They got cities. And in those cities, there was parts where people would go that had killed someone on accident, that something had happened. They could go into those cities and have a city of refuge. I'll move back over here. <laughs> but the redemption process was established by God. Now he goes on to say pretty much after that, that it's all mine. I love that. He establishes that after all these different things in, in Leviticus, he basically says, it's all mine. The land's mine. The houses are mine. The crops are mine. It's all mine. We need to get that, church. The American church needs to get this. It's all his. We, we want to hold on so tight and we concern ourselves so much with all these things that are temporal. They're here today, they're gone tomorrow. It's all his anyways. Especially if we've been redeemed. And guess what? They were redeemed. He brought them out of Egypt. He redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. So you see the law of redemption in Leviticus chapter 25. Now, the closed scroll indicates the plan of God is still unrevealed. You're saying, what are you saying, Pastor Steve? You just said that Jesus redeemed us. Yes, he did. But there's this scroll that is, has not been opened yet. That means there's more. You should get a lot more excited by that. There's a whole nother to come. If you think, and I, I mean, let me tell you, serving God is pretty awesome. There's some great gifts. He's equipped us. He's established us. He has made us whole. There's some great things that we have right now because of the redemption of Christ. But there's a whole other thing. This is nothing compared to what's to come, the redemption that's to come. 
This, this plan is still unrevealed. To break the seal and open the scroll would reveal and carry out God's plan. Come on. That's why we can sing, open the scroll, break the seal, and the Holy Spirit shows up and you're all not afraid. You're excited about open the scroll. This is God's plan being revealed. We're like, yes! God, open it up. The full plan of redemption. I think we can conclude that the scroll holds the plan of God's complete redemption. Now, who is worthy? I love this next section. He says, I saw the strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Can you now this angel, I believe, is Gabriel, the same angel that was given Daniel his vision. And then you see in that vision, and, and Gabriel's talking about the end times, that angel tells Gabriel to seal it up. Everything's written on the scroll, he says, seal it up. Now, God's got this scroll. It's the plan. Daniel got it, and he saw it, and he told Daniel, don't speak of it. You can speak of this much, now seal it up. So I believe this is Gabriel. A powerful angel says, and a loud voice, and he's in the cosmos. I don't know how loud that is, but if I was to scream at the top of my lungs and I have a loud voice, it would not do it justice. Because he's screaming into the heavens, the earth, and in below the earth, the three realms. Who's worthy? I don't need that. After the search is made, I don't know how long it took that search. John doesn't know. John is so freaked out at this point, he begins to weep. Now, I want to read a passage of scripture you're pretty familiar with Philippians chapter 2. I originally was just going to read verses 9, 10, and 11, but you know how I do. I want to, might as well give you more bang for your buck. So we might as well start it. I'm like, how do I not start at chapter 2, verse 1, right? So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, I would dare say, what do you think this one purpose is? I'm going a little deeper. You've heard me say this about 10 times already this morning. What was Jesus' purpose? Redemption. That was the purpose of Christ. That was the purpose of him coming to this earth, was to redeem. And we're going to get into some pretty awesome redemption stuff. But he had to be, in order to redeem man, he had to be of man. There's laws about that, which we're going to look into. And I'm going to give you some homework to read this week before we go into next week. For you to come and see what the Holy Spirit shows you. And then I'll share what he's showing me. All right? So, one purpose. Then he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. You can't see any of that in Jesus. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, has, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. That is a redemption. For this reason also God highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of what? Of those who are in heaven and on earth and on under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These are the same three realms that is being, is there anyone worthy? That angel is proclaiming. And guess what? Paul's telling us in Philippians that all three of those realms, because there's none worthy, there's none that met that criteria. Every single knee, it says all things of earth. I don't care if they're heavenly angelic beings. I don't care if they're fallen angels. I don't care if they're demons. I don't care if they're, doesn't matter. Everything is going to bow his knee and, and, and say, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. No one was found worthy. No living thing, no created thing was found worthy to claim the kingdom or take care of the future of the world. You hear me? No one is worthy. No one was worthy to establish the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to mess up some theology, or I hope straighten it out. Many have tried to solve the world's problems, but all have failed, and all will fail. We have some teaching, and it's good in thought, but it's just wrong. So then it can't be good. Follow me. That people are teaching, and, and huge churches are teaching, and this stuff's going pretty rampant. That we are to establish the kingdom on earth right now. It's called kingdom now. And you take the prayer that Jesus said to pray. And they take thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're supposed to establish that right now. That's what it's being taught. And let me tell you something. You are not worthy to establish the kingdom. Amen. This scripture in this part of the Bible tells me that that kingdom... It is already telling us, the angel, who is worthy? John himself, who, I don't know how you get more in spirit than John was. He was made in spirit. He didn't even have a, a dream or he said he became in spirit. So he's not of the flesh. And he is crying because he knows he's not worthy. No one was worthy to open the scroll, which establishes the redemption of the world and the kingdom of God. So hear me. What are you saying, Pastor Steve? We don't have authority. Yes, you've been given authority, but you do not have the authority to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. Amen. That's going to mess up a lot of things that are getting taught. You have authority. It's delegated authority. You have a little throne sitting around a large throne with one in it that holds the scroll and has been sealed up with identification of who is worthy. And it's not Steve Dennison on it. I don't meet the criteria. Yes, the blood's been applied to me and I am righteous in his sight, but I am not him. There is one who is worthy. Now, he's given me authority to bind and to loose and to speak to demonic things, and they have no power. I have more authority than those things. But I do not have the authority to establish the kingdom of God on this earth. He's given me the keys. I can open, and I can lock, but I can't establish it. I can't bring heaven onto the earth, which is going to happen under the, after the thousand years. Jesus is sitting on the throne, ruling during the millennium. Now, we will rule and reign with him because we're sitting around like the 24 elders, but we are not him. As we read this book, he is the one who establishes that. Are you following me? Okay, so there's some good things out there that will cause us to want to grow and stretch and walk in authority, and that's good teaching. But you and me are not going to convert this world. Those who he has Foreknown, those who are going to come are going to come, and we are to go out and reach them. But I don't know who all of them are. I can read in this book that 
the mission, if that is our goal and mission, we fail miserably. That is not our goal and mission. It is not to make the kingdom of God established on this earth. My goal and mission is to redeem, to go out and reach those who are lost. He's the one that does all that. John begins weeping uncontrollably because he realizes how important this revelation and this redemption is in the scroll and that he will not see what must come. You see, the Lord told him in chapter 119, write down what you have seen, what you see, and what must come after this. And now he's at a spot. He's like, oh, no, I'm this close to being able to see. And he goes, there's no one worthy. And he begins to weep. You see, this scroll is like no other book of prophecy. Even in the Old Testament, it was God's practice to reveal his will and his plans to the prophets. Is that true? Has it always been God's will to reveal his will and his plan to the prophets? Is John a prophet? Yeah. I mean, he's John the Revelator. He wa- he's also an apostle. He walked with Jesus. What are you saying, Pastor Steve? I want you to see... This thing is different. This is not our authority. This is God the Father and His Son. There was only one that can redeem it. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 says, Certainly the Lord God does nothing unless He reveals His, his, his secret plan to His servant, the prophets. In 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to give you a little more than, than you bought in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's established in some, look, I didn't come up with some clever tale that I heard from somebody. I personally witnessed his majesty. Okay? It says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard the declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made, made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. You hear that? We have this prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. We need to get back to that. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now Peter's establishing this word, the word of God. Men were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved men's hearts, their soul, and their hand to write and establish. There is such an attack on God's word today. You need to, this was established by God. A prophetic word, a true prophetic word, is not something that comes from you. It comes from outside of you. It's an extraterrestrial word that is deposited in you, and you declare it and share it. And it's, you better be careful when you say, thus saith the Lord. I'm not against thus saith the Lord. You just better know that thus saith the Lord. Otherwise, you say, and here's what I've said when I'm, I feel like this could be the Lord. I say, I feel like this could be the Lord. Chew on it. Drink it. Take it. And if it doesn't taste right and it doesn't feel right, spit it out. That's a humble position. Now, there has been times under the unction of the Holy Spirit that God has given me a word, and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is the word of the Lord. And I'll stand. I will stand before him on that word. And I was so careful and have been that I wrote it down word for word, not to mess up even a comma. Prophets could receive the message in the Old Testament and today. Not because they were worthy in themselves. You need to hear that. Not because they were worthy in themselves, but because they were open to the Holy Spirit. 
who led and moved them. Church, you need to be open to the Holy Spirit. You need to be open to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not going to hurt you. He's a dove. He's a dove. He is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will never hurt you. Open yourself to the Holy Spirit. You want to hear from the Lord? There's, there's people that teach. There's, there's organizations. There's denominations that teach that God doesn't speak to people anymore. Well, if you close yourself off, you won't hear from him. He speaks through his word, yes, but he speaks. It's like saying then God's dumb. God can still, well, he can do anything but, but talk. Well, God, well, he can't really, like he said everything he's going to say here. When did he limit himself? I never read any scripture that said he quit talking. I know that's garbage because he's speaking to me. He talks to me. I've opened myself up to him. We have communication. But this tells me that you can close yourself too. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 14. That is why the scripture means when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. He does that, but he can't talk to us. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words to us by the spirit, using the spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. Everyone, not everyone's going to receive this. Not everyone's going to receive the gospel. Not everyone's going to receive the spiritual word that he's wanting to speak. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the spirit means. How important do you think it is today to be in the Spirit? Do you think if we're, well, if we're not in the Spirit, we might be missing something in this day and age? Do you see a world full of people around you missing it? I mean, I see Christians missing it. I see Christians completely missing it. That has, you are not listening to the Spirit you can't be, because the Spirit speaks to your spirit. Truth. Which means, if you're missing it that bad, the Holy Spirit has either been shut off, or He's not even in you. You know, if he's in you, you know what you are? Sealed. I love what Paul saying. He doesn't want us confused. He says, when I tell you, I'm not using words that come from human wisdom. He's not speaking lofty. Human wisdom always wants to make yourself sound like you're so smart. Godly wisdom just speaks the truth and love. He says, I'm speaking words that are given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. And I pray that spiritual truths are being opened up and unlocked for you as we travel through this book. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. That means we've got to go out and redeem some folks. We've got to go out and share the love of Christ with people so that his spirit can indwell their spirit and then they can hear spiritual truths. 
We've got to do some things to get the truth out there. But spiritual truths, these downloads of things that are happening right now, can't be received by the ungodly. That's why it's our job to go and help open their eyes, uncork their ears. How do we do that? You pray and you fast. That's something that don't get talked about a whole lot. You know, Jesus did not even begin his ministry. He's the son of God. He went out in the wilderness for 40 days. You can start the, the pretty music stuff that makes everyone feel good. <laughs> he went out in the desert for 40 years, or not 40 years, 40 days, and did not eat. He did not receive of anything from the flesh. Nothing from the natural world. And he, and you think, oh, he went out to encounter Satan. Satan didn't lure. We have this picture like, oh, poor Jesus. <laughs> Satan didn't lure Jesus out into the desert so he could tempt him. The Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert so he could defeat him. He led him out into the desert. How, you're going, well, how did he defeat him? He went to his lowest place in his flesh. He did not eat for 40 days and was tempted to what? Eat. Satan had an idea. He had seen a handful of people fast 40 days. Moses. Elijah. He saw other people that fasted in the power. Daniel. The power that came. And I'm pretty sure Satan was a little scared. I got to get this. I got to get this. Over. We cannot let him get empowered. And even the son of God knew because his flesh, he's flesh and blood, knew if I'm going to accomplish this mission, I've got to do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in my flesh. And the same very thing that took Adam and Eve down, what did they do? They ate. They filled their flesh. And Jesus said, I won't have any part of it. And redeemed. It started there. Began the process of redeeming what Adam messed up. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Come back with me. John is in the heavenly tabernacle. He sees the Father with the scroll. And the angel says, who can open the scroll? And there's no one. A search is done. We don't even know this search. No one's worthy. And he's weeping. He's weeping. He says, I began to weep greatly because no one, no man was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah we're going to look at that next week. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. I think we need to understand something. I think it's getting clearer and clearer that all creation has to shrink back in unworthiness and come to the conclusion there's only one worthy to redeem. There's only one worthy. Church, you've got to get this. There's only one worthy. You can't turn to doctors. You can't turn to psychiatrists. You can't turn to medicine. You can't turn. Now, hear me. I'm not against those things. If, if I get my leg sawed off, I'm going to probably have to go to the doctor. But my faith and my trust is in God, and God is going to help these doctors. But whether those doctors have their heads screwed on straight or not, I'm in his hands. He's the one worthy. My faith and trust is in no one else. And that is because there was no one else who redeemed me. Because my life before Christ was headed to hell. And I deserved every part of it. And I fully well know that. And then he came and bought me with a price and said, let no one else said, I want that. 
It was, there was no reason to want that. It was desolate. That land was desolate. It was overgrown with the worst buckbrush and poison oak and poison ivy and hard ground and rocks. There was no reason to want that. It was a desert. Nothing would grow. No one wanted that land. But there's one who came and redeemed it and bought me with a price, the highest price. And my faith and my trust is in him. I counted my life as loss. I've counted my life as dung. My only purpose is to know him and to be like him, which is to redeem. To go and be an ambassador and speak of redemption. We don't hear much about that anymore. Redemption. I want you to do me a favor. Read the book of Ruth. It's very interesting. The book of Ruth was almost not put in the Bible. It was the most controversial book that when the, when the canon was being put in, they almost didn't put, they almost, the Old Testament did not almost get Ruth because one of the reasons was that there's no mention of Jesus in the book of Ruth. Read the book of Ruth. Yeah. It, it's so, I dare you to read the book of Ruth this week. You're going to see God's master plan again and again and again and again and again. He's been speaking about redemption from the beginning in every different way and out, even in purchasing land, even in there's a kinsman redeemer. This is a book that is sealed, that's been written on, and there's only one that can redeem it. And it brings our future redemption. Oh, wait till we get there. Oh my goodness. You think it's good now? You ain't seen anything yet. We need to understand, and I'm not saying that you need to like go whip yourself and beat yourself, but we can get pretty haughty at times as Christians. There's one that's worthy. There's one redeemer. On our best day, we're little Christs. You follow me? On our best day. But we're not the Christ. There's one. And he alone is worthy to receive all glory, all honor, all praise, all dominion, all worship. He's the one that's worthy. How many has been redeemed? Almost everybody. If you haven't been redeemed, you need to be. Here's the cool thing. The price has already been paid. He doesn't have to go do anything for you to be redeemed. He's already done it. 2,000 years ago on the cross at Calvary, sealed in the blood, you've been redeemed. Bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. And if you're not living a life that is redeemed, you are not living life. And you will never reach live the life that God has intended for you to live. You're going to wrestle. You're going to stumble. You're going to hit your head. You're going to want to curse God at times. The enemy's going to deceive you and twist you, and he's going to use every hurt and everything that's came into your life to try to pervert what God wants to do in your life. Am I speaking the truth to those who've been redeemed? To those who've been set free that has allowed the Holy Spirit to come into their life and redeem the areas in their lives that they thought there was nothing good that can come from. Let him redeem it. And you watch and see what God begins to grow in that ground. Yes, he's going to have to till it up. Yes, he's going to de-weed it. Yes, he's going to cut out the brush. But he's going to till that ground up and he's going to begin to nourish it. And he's going to get able to water it. And he's going to plant good seed in it. And it will produce a crop that's 30, 60, 100 times more than what was ever planted. That's redeemed. Anything that doesn't look like that isn't redemption. Hear me, church. 
if that ground is still full of weeds and thorns and stones and it hasn't been turned over, you have not submitted yourself to him. You must submit yourself to the Lord. It says resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But you've got to submit yourself to the Lord or the rest of it ever happens. You've got to submit yourself to his redemption. That you're done wrestling. You're done striving in your own strength for whatever the heck you're wanting to accomplish. And you go, Jesus is king. And my purpose is to follow him. My purpose is to listen to his voice. My purpose is to do what he did, just like he did what he saw his father do. Nothing else matters. Now the enemy's going to come and scream and yell and shake and, and try to get you off of that truth. But that's the only rock that's going to stand. When everything else is shaken, when everything else is falling apart, if you're on him, you're on solid ground. It ain't touching you. This book, these seals that are about to open, they're not for you if you've been bought by, bought by the blood, if you've been redeemed. You're seated in the throne room. You're watching and you're cheering on. Lord, open the seals. Open the scroll, break the seals, Lord. Because that redemption is coming. You're going to see over and over throughout. It's always been God's plan. He will go and clear out a land. He told the children of Israel going through Joshua, be strong and courageous. He said, go clear out all of the enemy territory. And then he, they established. And that was like, how many times do they have to walk around that place? Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if God's doing what he's always showed us over and over. He's going to clear out the land. Isn't that what it says? And then he's going to establish what? His kingdom and his purposes will reign, not temporarily, not for three and a half years, forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> Open the seal. Break the seals. Open the scroll. Let's do this thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you don't know the Lord and you haven't been redeemed, I would love you 